This is a conversation with uh, Dr. Robert Hedaya. Hi, uh, Dr. Hedaya. Hi, how are you? Good, good, thank you. So, you call uh, your work whole psychiatry, which is a very evocative phrase. Do you want to maybe talk a little bit about that? Well, first let me tell you how the idea came about. I would say that, first of all, I've always been an integrative thinker. It's just my nature. And I noticed as I was in practice for a number of years that medication and therapy were not uh, the be-all and end-all. In 1986, after being in practice for three years, I had a patient um, who was about 50 years old and had the onset of panic attacks uh, for the first time in her life. She had no previous psychiatric history. And so I thought this was pretty easy to deal with. I thought it might be related to the fact that she had a bad marriage and her only child was going off to school. And so she was a little panicked perhaps about maybe leaving her marriage or missing her child. So we started with some cognitive behavioral therapy uh, and that really didn't help very much. So I decided to use medication. We went through uh, three medication trials without benefit, and this whole process took about a year. After a year, she paged me on a Saturday evening, uh, and she was having a panic attack, and knowing that panic attacks are really pretty easy to treat, I started to wonder about what I was missing. So I went into the office very early on Monday morning and looked at some of the blood work that I had done, which really wasn't much and saw that the size of her red blood cells was larger than normal. I had ignored it a year earlier because I was taught that if something's just a little bit out of the normal range, it's not worth paying attention to. So I looked a little further, did a little research, and did some testing and found that she had a B12 deficiency, gave her B12 injection, and with the first injection, the panic disappeared. So at that point, I realized that the uh, head is connected to the body by this thing called the neck. Yes. And uh, it was, uh, gee, you know, maybe there's a lot more going on here because I think we're all aware of uh, this kind of a revolving door phenomenon in the mental health field where people see one practitioner and then after a while leave that practitioner and maybe sometime later go back to another practitioner and they seem to be in the mental health system for a long time and in the recent years obviously there's a heavy emphasis on medication as a major way of dealing with mental health problems and psychotherapy has taken a second, second uh, place. But what I realized at that point was that there was a whole other domain, which was the physiology. And this, this particular case was the first illustration uh, in my practice of that. It led to me looking for other treatable causes uh, of uh, mental health problems, things that might be destabilizing. Um, and one thing led to another, and I started to see that there were multiple systems involved. Then in 1996, after my first book came out, I myself 
became fatigued and I think you could say I was on the edge of chronic fatigue syndrome. I started investigating that and that led me to a field of called functional medicine. And I studied that for several years and in the process treated myself and felt better than ever. And eventually came to understand that there are many different systems that affect the mind and the mind affects these systems, so it's really a bi-directional network. These systems are nutrition, digestion, immune function, infections, detoxification, oxidative stress, hormones, genetics, epigenetics, as well as psychosocial and spiritual factors. Um, so mental health is a complex uh, process and outcome. And when we're looking at someone who has a mental health problem through the lens of whole psychiatry, whole psychiatry, we like to really look at all the different levels that could be operational. So, yeah, yeah. So, that, so very, inter very interesting in the, uh, you know, the examples you mentioned. Um, you know, there is a broadening. So, for instance, in the case of anxiety, you went to uh, what was in the framework you had at the time the most likely uh, cure, the most to be most likely to be effective. Then you went on to something else, which was also likely to be effective. And when you didn't find an answer, you looked elsewhere and uh, found that actually something happened in the body, in this case, in the blood. And so... That's a question of um, looking at systems. At, at, at That's the, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so then when we talk about mind and body being related, uh, it's actually going to be paying attention to the various systems in the biology of the human being that are going to potentially have also an impact on how moods um, are affected. Yeah, I think that's right, and I would even say, I would even say that mind and body. I wouldn't say they're related. I would say they're part of one whole. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're really inseparable, and it's a it's an artificial distinction. In the case that I was talking about, uh, this fifty year old woman, the problem actually started not in her blood, but it actually started in her stomach, because she was unable to absorb vitamin B twelve. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so um, you know, I can certainly talk more about it, but I think uh, the the most important thing is to understand that mental health is not an isolated part of health. Uh, the studies clearly show that people with mental health disturbances have certain diseases more commonly, um, whether it's diabetes, hypertension, uh, heart disease, osteoporosis, you know, obesity, you know, there, there's a linkage between mental health and, and physical health and psychosocial, spiritual status. So, uh, in a way, as a result of seeing people who have previously seen uh, other doctors, other psychiatrists, other therapists, uh, what is it that you would want to draw attention 
uh, too, uh, you know, among people who listen to this conversation who are psychotherapists, who may have a general sense of, um, you know, the relationship between what happens in the body and what happens emotionally, but don't necessarily have that medical knowledge. What is it that maybe we could be paying more attention to? Okay, that's a great question. I think uh, it's actually much less complex than than it seems. So if, if I had my druthers, I would have every therapist take a gastrointestinal history and a dietary history. So at the first meeting, you would ask a person either to come in with a three-day food diary or ask them what they ate for breakfast, lunch, dinner the night before. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you'll get a sense of what their dietary habits are. Now, obviously, you have to have some knowledge yourself about what a healthy diet is, and that's, that information is readily available. Second thing is to just take a history of how the gastrointestinal tract is functioning. So you ask, um, are you having constipation? Are you having diarrhea? Are you having cramping, belching, bloating, gassiness, reflux? Um, very simple. That Those questions might take three minutes. Why is that important? It's important because the gastrointestinal tract is the foundation, it's one of the main foundations of health. I would say the foundations of health are the gastrointestinal tract and nutrition, the air we breathe, the sensory input, uh, including the thoughts and, uh, well, let me not say thoughts, let me say the the uh, input into our minds. Uh, so it, we're really talking about input. What are the inputs? So mm-hmm. the inputs in terms of, you know, what do we watch, what do we read, what do we listen to, who do we hang around, what what kind of sensory stimulation, what, how much touch do we get, how much exercise, and what do we eat and how do we digest our food. Uh, those and the air we breathe, those are the main inputs. And so the gastrointestinal tract is a major input. We eat three, four times a day. What are you eating and how are you processing it? Yeah. That's, that's the fundamental, that's one of the fundamentals. So incredibly simple when you describe it this way, say, um, that, um, what's happening, say, mood disorder or the, what we observe are symptoms, they're the output, and what you're looking at is uh, paying attention to, on the one hand, the input, and to the, the way in which the system processes it. Yeah, I think that's a good way of looking at it. Sometimes I look at it in other ways, uh, antecedents, triggers, and mediators, but I think what we're talking about is is, is very, uh, very true and real. And then I would say the inputs uh, also wash out over our genes mm-hmm. and, and affect gene expression. But I think for a psychotherapist um, purposes, Taking that really good dietary history and nutrition, you know, nutritional history and gastrointestinal history takes all of five minutes. And following up on that, if there are problems with repeating the questions in two, three weeks so that the patient, the client begins to understand that this has some importance and then you're, you're kind of observing what it, mm-hmm. you know, and helping them along. And then if need be, you refer them, whether it's to a nutritionist or, gastroenterologist or functional medicine doctor. 
Um, and, and in that way, you can be tremendously helpful. Yes. And so, uh, in a very practical way, uh, the, you know, the, the help, the helpfulness of this is obvious, but there is another part to it that in a way by doing this, uh, in, uh, in a very concrete way, you have established the relationship between what we do and what we ingest and, uh, how we feel. And so that's, right. that's very clearly communicated to the client as well. Yeah. So that's the first thing. Mm -hmm. The second thing is, and this is something therapists are uh, fairly adept at, is looking at what the um, psychological social inputs are. And here's how I would put it. It's a little more stark than the way we usually think of it. I would say that we're all brainwashed. Every single person on this planet is brainwashed. So you have to pick your washing machine. <laughs> Do you do you want to have um, spiritual orientation to life? Uh, what kind of orientation do you want to have? Whatever it is that you want to have, you have to give yourself inputs that actually cause your mind to operate along that pathway. So um, it's very important. If you want to have a spiritual life, you don't really want to be watching horror films and the and the six o'clock news. Because all those things do is give you fear. If you want to have a positive attitude towards life, if you want to have gratitude, you have to have inputs that actually support your starting to think in ways and noticing gratitude. So that means maybe you want to read prayers or maybe you want to read about gratitude or maybe you go into a 12-step program or whatever it is. You look for inputs that will support that. You would not want to hang around people who are negative. You would want to have friends who are positive. Uh, if you want to be the best race car driver around, then you want to have inputs that help you in that realm. You know, as a psychiatrist, I had inputs. I had teachers and readings and colleagues and patients. All of these things have shaped my brain and how my mind functions. We all operate that way, so it's very important to consciously screen and choose the sensory and psychological and social inputs so that what will come out will be what you want to come out, yes, what yes, your experience and lens will be and select for. So, so you know, I noticed why you use the we're all brainwashed, you know, at the beginning of this uh, topic, uh, because it's a very powerful, uh, striking image. But, you know, really what we're talking about is that the myth of being a person in a way in isolation is a myth. And uh, we are the result of our various influences and how we digest them. And so uh, by, you know, we can exercise a degree of choice in terms of, um, you know, the milieu we're in, because that's going to affect us. Right. That's absolutely right. And it's important to recognize that um, we are not um, static. You know, we can become, uh, well, let me change that. We can begin to experience the world through the lens that we choose to use. You want to see things in a positive way, you can begin to develop that lens. And so uh, in uh, implicitly what you're describing is that even if we don't have an exact prescription 
for the kind of input that's going to be uh, giving us the best result. By being conscious of the relationship between input and output, we can also perfect this by trial and error. That's right. It's a choice. Um, there's no one prescription for everyone. Even if you said, I want to become a spiritual person, well, the the inputs that you would find helpful and beneficial and meaningful are going to be different than the inputs that I would choose. Mm-hmm. So everybody has to make their choices about about those things. Yeah. So we've and talk- I think it's important to recognize that <clears throat> these these inputs that we're talking about then have a, a very significant effect on our physiology. Mm-hmm. 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 So we've talked about uh, two kinds of inputs, you know, diet and um, gastrointestinal tract and uh, psychological and social inputs. Mm-hmm. So a third input would be air. And uh, it sounds kind of silly, but um, the air we breathe is very important. And uh, so you want to ask, and this is very simple for a therapist to, to do, ask a, a person what their uh, the quality of the air is. Are, are they working in an old building? Is it a musty place? Is it a 100-year-old building? Have, has there been flooding in the home? Has there ever been a flood in the basement? Um is it moldy? Um, you know, are you working in an environment, say, like a printer would, where there are toxic chemicals in the air? Mm-hmm. Um, these things obviously can have an effect, depending on a person's sensitivity, uh, can have an effect on their, their health and their mental health. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, as you say, it's something that's uh, pretty obvious, but we don't necessarily make the link between right. that and how we are and how we feel. Right, right. And then maybe a, a fourth, um, a, a fourth uh, input would be um, bacteria. Let's say bacteria and viruses. So, for example, um, how. How careful are you in terms of sanitary habits? Um, are you exposed to infectious agents, whether it's in the classroom, teaching young children, or having young children at home? Uh, are you living in a country area where there are ticks or other um, insect-borne diseases? Um, do you have fungal infections? You know, this whole this whole area of infectious illness, um, which is really, in a sense, another input into the system, can have huge effects on uh, OCD, anxiety, panic, uh, memory problems, mood problems, and even schizophrenia. Hmm. Yeah. So, paying attention to these four categories of input, and again relating it and noticing the impact on life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, and I think if somebody were to read over 
the transcript of this discussion or listen to this this discussion again. You can make a list probably of 15 or 20 questions that you could even put into a questionnaire and just have your clients. That, that, that's exactly, I, I, I was actually <laughs> thinking about that and uh, uh, waiting to ask you if it's actually something that uh, would be okay with you, but it's that's what this conversation is inspiring me to do. Yes, uh, absolutely. I yeah. think it's a great idea. And, and if people are um, interested, I do have a psychometabolic questionnaire that I've developed. Um, I, I, have to, I haven't looked at it in a couple of years because I do this myself in a uh, pretty regular way all the time, so I don't really use the questionnaire for that. But it's something that I could forward to people and they can see if it's complete enough for them. Mm-hmm. Or even even better, really, I think that questionnaire, uh, it's available and I'm willing to send it to people, but, but I would also say you can just listen to this and just write out the questions. It's, it's very straightforward. And if you do this with people, you will find that you can really influence their health on a fundamental level. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean, what what I find really incredibly inspiring as I'm listening to this is, um, you know, obviously, as I mentioned before, the practicality of paying attention to this and this and making the specific changes, uh, but that um, uh, it's also such a powerful way to communicate the philosophy of... Um, uh, you know, seeing things in a system perspective, the influence of uh, environmental factor and uh, body factor on the experience of life, uh, that, you know, you could talk to people until you're blue in the face and not get through. But sharing that experience is actually a very, very powerful way to communicate the concept. So to me, that's uh, at least as as exciting as the specific contents, which which is great. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you appreciate it because I think it's uh, it's it's very powerful. I, I let me say this: if people just need to think of this in very simplistic terms, it's get the bad stuff out and put the good stuff in. Yeah, 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 and uh, in an interesting way. Uh, that we're talking about uh, uh, bad stuff or good stuff, not just in terms of surface, but in terms of, uh, you know, the basic structures of life, the underlying structures that make, you know, that give the good stuff. Right. That's right. Now, it's very interesting, um, if you don't mind my going on a little bit. No. Uh, So, um, I was um, having lunch probably 15 years ago with my my children and uh, nephew and somehow the conversation went to well if you could have one thing in life what would you like and well, you know the answers were uh, uh, villa and wherever or Bentley or this or that you know material the yeah. answers were pretty much material and what I what I said was what I would like best is a good attitude <laughs> because with a good attitude, you can handle anything. And even further than that, if you have a good attitude, your immune system functions better, your relationships are better, your gastrointestinal tract functions better, you know, your adrenal glands function better, uh, and certainly your experience of life is is much, much sweeter. 
Mm-hmm. So for me, that's that's uh, if I could have one thing, that's what I would have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the uh, you know, in a way, the interface of how we function with the uh, you know all the components of the system, uh, and that's a part of where we can. To some extent, of course, uh, it's not something that we can will ourselves to have, but there is an intentionality about realizing the value of that good attitude and uh, and doing everything we can to get there. Yeah, I would say there's an intentionality, and, the, and even uh, added to that is a practice. And I would say that as therapists, you have to be very careful not to be always looking for the source of a problem. You know, I, I think that's so easy to fall into. Well, maybe it's because of this, or maybe it's because of that, or was it because of your mother, or was it because of your father, or your grandmother, or um, maybe you think this because of that. You know, that ends up being a, a um, fault-finding, a problem-finding focus. And it's not that it doesn't have a place, but it could become a way of thinking about yourself and the world. Yeah. And, yeah. and that can be very uh, destructive. But also, interestingly enough, when you put it this way, uh, you know, it's not the same thing as looking at the underlying cause, because it seems like a cause because historically it might have contributed to it or even created it. But actually, in the present moment, uh, what perpetuates it is the practice, is what you're doing. So just focusing on what happened historically is actually not going to address how it keeps being perpetuated in the present moment. Mm -hmm. And the truth of the matter is, really, the real truth is that we can't really find cause. Most of the time, we can't really assign cause to anything Mm -hmm. because there's always multiple uh, factors playing in to something, you know, let's take a simple example, you were walking and you fell and broke your leg. You could say, well, that's why I'm in pain. Well, that's part of it, but why did you fall? Maybe you felt because you fell because you haven't been going to the gym and so your muscles, your core muscles are uh, unstable. Mm-hmm. Maybe you fell because you have some uh, neuropathy in your legs because you're taking Prilosec for your reflux and Prilosec stops the absorption of B12 so your nerves and your legs are not really sensitive as they should be. You know, maybe it's because your mind was somewhere else and, and you weren't looking because you had an argument with your, you know, your sister or, you know, there's, there actually isn't cause for most things. It's usually a systemic thing. So if we really look at things, uh, Objectively, we'd see that there are always multiple inputs. But in this society, certainly in medicine, we're always looking for cause. And we think uh, falsely that if we find one cause, we'll be able to solve the problem. But uh, even, even with pneumonia, if I took 100 people and put them in a room and uh, sprayed them with pneumococcal pneumonia bacteria, Everybody wouldn't get pneumonia. Right. Certain people would because they're more vulnerable, but others wouldn't. 
yeah, and 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 if you obviously in terms of uh, mental phenomena, uh, things that create PTSD in some people don't in others, and some people are strengthened by some events. So again, right. the idea that you cannot, you know, the the model or pain is not something that is linear in terms of uh, you know stimulus and response. So right. there's an illusion about looking for a cause. Um, that is actually, instead of being proactive, is actually hiding, uh, you know, how to deal with, with effectively changing things. And, and it also creates a mindset of victimhood. Mm-hmm. You know, because we become the victims of someone or something instead of understanding that, the, you know, in a broad sense, this is just where we are. There are multiple reasons for where we are. And, and it's worth understanding the multiplicity of, of this and then planning how to move forward. Yeah, yeah. And so I want to, to uh, reinforce what you're saying is that the opposite of, um, of that state of feeling victimized or of experiencing oneself as a victim is not the idea of grin and bear it, but is actually of realizing that there is some things, some possibility of making changes, some possibility of affecting uh, the situation, and that by going in that direction and shifting and putting energy there, uh, there is a possibility of agency as opposed to passive helplessness. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So I'm going to just take a moment to check, you know, if... Um, there's, uh, you know, that feels like whole, obviously not as a, everything you have to say, but as an introduction to the topic, or if there's something you might want to um, to add. Uh, I guess um, one, one thing I would add is that I, I call this whole psychiatry because um, it's a combination of traditional psychiatry and functional medicine and uh, other modalities but also because it's important to remember that we don't know and we will always not know uh, a great deal. And it's really critical to have comfort with the uncertainty of not knowing. If a person needs certainty, uh, a, a sense that they know everything or most things, then they, by definition, have to exclude anything that causes a disturbance in their comfort level. And so you end up excluding information and ways of thinking that could be very helpful in life. So not knowing and uncertainty is something that people need to get comfortable with and become aware of. Uh, and and I, that's, that's part of why I use the word whole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Title which feels, again, very beautifully related to what you said about, um, you know, looking for a simple cause as a way to alleviate the anxiety of not knowing. And, um, you know, that uh, the idea of embracing the not knowing is related to that. Yeah, I, I would like to uh, maybe close with one one more case, just mm-hmm. a broader perspective um, I have uh, a patient who I treated who was 18 years old when I first saw him, and he had severe OCD. He came to me because he didn't want to take any medication. He had been in therapy uh, in the past. It was not helpful. And when he came to me, he had 
trouble bending one of his fingers. He couldn't straighten it out, actually. He kept it bent all the time because of a superstition that if he straightened it out, um, it, would, it would cause bad things. So actually he had was a contracture where he really physically was unable to strain it because the tendon had, had tightened and shrunk. So when I worked him up, I found that he had four different infections in his body, and by treating those, as well as a couple of hormonal and nutritional issues, and getting him into an exposure response prevention type of therapy, within three months he was back to normal mm. and, uh, without medication. And that's an example of, of how this approach can be helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's a, yeah, that's a very powerful example. And as you're talking, you know, the, you know, I wanted to share with you that my, um, sense of, um, whole psychiatry, in a way I understand it, uh, also as psychiatry that is anchored in the wholeness of, um, uh, what is a human being and the human condition. I think that's very accurate. Yeah. So, thank you, Dr. Hidayah. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, sir. This recording is part of the Somatic Mindfulness and Relational Psychotherapy podcast. See the website, relationalimplicit.com. Example of, of how this approach can be helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's a, yeah, that's a very powerful example. And as you're talking, you know, the, you know, I wanted to share with you that my, um, sense of, um, whole psychiatry, in a way I understand it, uh, also as psychiatry that is anchored in the wholeness of, um, uh, what is a human being and the human condition. I think that's very accurate. Yeah. So, thank you, Dr. Hidayah. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, sir. This recording is part of the Somatic Mindfulness and Relational Psychotherapy podcast. See the website, relationalimplicit.com.